Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Way We Get By. I'm Tim. I'm Liam. Liam, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit these past few days. I feel like the time just gets away from me. I don't, at any moment of the day, I won't know what time it is. I just don't know what's going on. I'm just kind of floating right now through time and space. But otherwise, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm really excited about our guest on the podcast today. Uh, her name is D.L. Mayfield, and she is an author, and she actually has a book coming out very soon, May 5th, um, called The Myth of the American Dream, Reflections on Affluence, Autonomy, Safety, and Power. And I wanted to speak with her um, because I feel like a lot of what she's writing about in this book um, are things that we're we're kind of seeing in real time right now with the the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So our talk with D.L. Mayfield. All right, today we are joined by author D.L. Mayfield. She's got a new book coming out very soon called The Myth of the American Dream, Reflections on Affluence, Autonomy, Safety, and Power. D.L., thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. I'm so happy to get to chat with someone these days. I know, really. This is like pretty much how I feel like I've... I. Maybe the last few years, I maybe use Skype maybe once or, or you know, almost any kind of video conference. I mean, so rarely. Yeah. And now I'm like every day, multiple times a day. So can you tell before we before we jump in, because I'm really excited to talk about uh, your book that's coming out now. Is it uh, coming out in early May? Is that when the release date is? Or yeah, May 5th. May 5th. The official release date, yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, can you share a little background about yourself and then just a little about the book? What inspired you to kind of start this book or what kind of gave you the motivation to, to write something like this? Yeah. Uh, so quick background is I am someone who grew up, you know, squarely in the evangelical world. I wanted to be a missionary and ended up meeting and then moving and living with um, a refugee community here in Portland, Oregon, where I was going to Bible college at the time. And that kind of upended my whole world, which I wrote about in my first book, which is called Assimilate or Go Home Notes from a Failed Missionary on Rediscovering Faith. And I've lived in sort of low, you know, low income immigrant or refugee mm -hmm. neighborhoods for like the past, I would say, 12, 14 years. I ended up getting my degree in teaching English to speakers of other languages and specialize in teaching literacy. And uh, I think the second book came about because I just realized that there are these values that have shaped my life that seem to be pulling me in the opposite direction of where I see Jesus Um present in the Gospels and where Jesus said he would be working in the world. And also just, you know, living in low-income neighborhoods and being in relationship with marginalized people, I think it really kind of helped my blindness to see that there is definitely some things about my country that was not good news for everyone. Um, so I had to sort of think about those questions and then also related to faith. What did, what did my faith mean if it wasn't good yeah. news to everyone? So those are kind of twin questions. And I thought, I've been thinking about these for a lot of years. I might just start writing down what I'm thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I, one, and I, I know I should write before we started recording, but one of the reasons I was excited to, to get with you and to talk to you about this book, I feel like I, I was reading it. Oh, for just a real quick backstory. So I, I work at an organization where we get advanced copies of books and we get intervarsity. I mean, all the time, but I'm not the person who ever receives these books at all. Like I don't, they don't come to me. I don't know when we get them or anything. I've been following you on Twitter and reading a lot of your articles. Just really just, I just loved a lot of stuff you've written and, and uh, just kind of what you're advocating for. And 
So again, I, I never see any of these books at work. And of all the days that I just kind of stumble in, like in the mailroom when these books arrive, was when you're, you're, we got your book a few weeks ago. And I was like, this is, I just couldn't believe I almost did a double take. I didn't think it was actually your book. I was like, this can't. <laughs> Usually, even even though I don't get to see it, most of the time they're not books that I'm that, you know, it's a lot of Christian writing, which I will say, <laughs> you know, for the most part, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll pass. I'm fine. But uh, I was just so excited to find the book and kind of grab it before anybody else could get their hands on it. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I was very excited that that never happens. Um, but I was also excited to be reading it now because I feel like a lot of the books around, especially autonomy, but I mean, even power, affluent, I mean, all these reflections, I feel like during this pandemic, during this kind of crisis that we're experiencing now, a lot of these myths that you talk about are kind of falling apart in front of us. Um, Like, I know a lot of people may be saying we're, you know, these systems are breaking, but I think it's just revealing the broken systems and how we're not loving our neighbors well. And I was going to see if you could speak a little bit to that, especially, you know, a recent article you wrote for Sojourners, I thought was really fantastic. But how are, like, I don't know, just what you're seeing personally, even, how are some of these myths that we kind of grew up believing, I, I grew up believing as a white evangelical, we're seeing them kind of crumble? Yeah, I mean, I'm so curious because, you know, the book is being released on May 5th. And so obviously like all my speaking, you know, gigs and sort of like book parties or events I had planned have all been canceled. And so it's an interesting time to be publishing a book, but I don't think I would change anything I wrote. You know, I think I would keep it exactly the same because the reality is there are people in the United States where every day is a crisis for them, right? Every day is like living in a disaster zone is trying to rebuild their life in the shadow of a system that, you know, has been designed for them to fail. And so I think if there is a silver lining, which is tricky to talk about, right? When Mm -hmm. there's so many people suffering and and dying right now, you know, a silver lining might be that the majority of people in the United States will now be able to say that, yeah, the systems are inherently broken and unequal Mm -hmm. and let's do something to fix it. So I guess I look at, you know, history, like it took the great depression for there to be, to be even any welfare, you know, (laughs) in the United States and, and things like that. So I'm hoping, you know, what comes out of this would be universal healthcare or things that really take into the account, some basic human rights that everybody deserves. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but that's (laughs) of mine. And yeah, I think, you know, I'm coming from exactly like you, where I did not know about these kinds of inequalities, Mm -hmm. right? And I really believe this idea that if you work hard, you can do anything you want in America. But so many other people are not coming from that perspective. And so I don't think they've been surprised by what we've seen happening with this pandemic, actually, um, the governor of Oregon said something that I thought was so interesting. You know, she had been asking the federal government for supplies, right, to test and to have more equipment for the hospitals, and, and she didn't get it. And she just said, you know, the cracks in the American system are being revealed to be the canyons that they actually are. And yeah. I thought, oh, my God, yeah. that's it. Wow. That's it right there. <laughs> They're being revealed to be how deep and unjust and inequitable they mm-hmm. truly are. Yeah. I remember thinking there are these like emergency measures coming like, oh, hey, well, during this time we might let's 
give, you know, health insurance to everybody and like all these things that were coming up kind of making hopefully people think like, well, why, why are we doing that all the time? Because people yeah. get sick at any moment, all these different things coming up. I remember the first article or the first headline that I saw that um, really like it's just was jolting and not like you said, it's a horrible thing and not that I'm obviously would prefer this not happen, but maybe people will see this and rethink. I remember uh, um, this is way before school started closing and social distancing, but um, in New York City, they were debating um, closing the schools because over 100,000 kids that go to New York uh, City public schools were homeless and mm-hmm. wouldn't have, you know, breakfast and lunch, wouldn't even have, you know, the possibility of like clean clothes or, you know, there, there was just a lot that the schools were providing. And so there was this dilemma in the beginning of, if we close the schools, things might be worse off for these children. And I remember seeing that hoping oh, yeah. maybe this will shock some people because I don't know if a lot of people realize that or think about that. Yeah, no, it's it's true. And I, I just hope that we are able to retain this sense of, you know, we really have to rely on each other for us all to flourish. And I think that's like such a biblical principle that especially in the Old Testament, you see all the time is that God wants us to be in relationship with the most vulnerable so that way we will see our connection to them and our responsibility to them. And, you know, even thinking about this value of autonomy, right, is so deeply deeply ingrained in the American psyche, almost like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So asking people to shelter in place and stay at home has been really interesting to see the reaction, right? A lot of people saying like, oh, why should I have to do this? And it's all a hoax, <laughs> you know, and um, because they, we are not used to having our rights infringed upon. But I do see some, some people really rallying to see like, actually, we should do this and it's for the common yeah. good. Yes, our economy is going to tank a bit. It's going to mm-hmm. take a long time out of this. But if we can save lives, it'll be worth it. So it's been fascinating to see some of this common good language, you know, be entering into like our political talks and our conversation when that hasn't really been a part of the Christianity I was raised with, which is yeah. really a shame. It is such a theme of the Bible. And so I'm like, yeah. this would be such a time if Christians, you're thinking about, today, we're recording this on Good Friday, Easter is on Sunday. Yeah. What if Christians really could be at the forefront of saying, yes, we sacrifice our economics in order to protect the most vulnerable. Like that is yeah. what a Christian does. That's what we advocate people to do. Unfortunately, yeah. we do see some, you know, minority of churches being very high profile yeah. and saying they're going to anyways. But you know, the vast majority of Christians I know mm-hmm. are really stepping into this call to love their neighbor. And they're not using some religious language of like, well, I have faith, therefore I'm not afraid. They say, I have faith, therefore I want to protect mm-hmm. my neighbor going to stay home. And so I think that's what the majority of Christians are doing. And I love that. And I just hope we can continue to say, this is actually a core part of our faith Mm -hmm. is to others and the common good rather than ourselves and our individual rights. Yeah. You, you mentioned a little bit about, um, social distancing and, uh, I know your background, you work with refugees where community and physical interaction is huge. It's, it's, it's like how you, how you predominantly interact. How are you like now? This is such a weird time where loving your neighbor also involves not being around you. It's so strange. How how are you in this time like loving your neighbor and uh, still like continually advocating for them as well? Yeah, it's really difficult. I I like I've always thought, you know, something really bad goes down. I'm just so happy I will be in my neighborhood. You know, like I love 
my neighbors, we have each other's back. Um, but I never envisioned like this happening where I couldn't physically be with them. Mm-hmm. And again, the, my friendships mostly through English class and, and just were based on where we live are usually with like first generation immigrant women who, uh, a lot of them come from like non-literate backgrounds even. And so like very little mm-hmm. access to education. And so technology is not a primary way we've ever communicated and it's been a steep learning curve and it doesn't work that great. <laughs> but we are trying and then like stuff like one of my friends she just made like tons of masks because she's really good at sewing Mm -hmm. and so I will pick those up and then I deliver that to other families and you know like well one person will do a big shop and get a huge bunch of flour and then deliver it to other people And, and so we're still trying to help each other out but it is really different and I am just like really sad right now because in the book yeah. I write a ton about our school and places like the library and literally at the end of the book I say like the only place I'm ever happy is inside mm-hmm. this elementary school and um well now that's close for like what six yeah. months maybe longer and just thinking every community space that was available to us is now shut and yeah we don't have any parks and we don't have trails and we don't have you know most of my friends live in these little tiny apartments and there's no backyards and so mm-hmm. it's gonna be a really hard summer and yeah. i i don't even know what to do like we bought a house around the corner and we have this beautiful green yard and, you know, I told them, I was like, I'll set out some chairs and you guys can come in the evenings and I'll stay far away from you. Uh, we'll see if they take me up on that. But I, I just don't know. I I have a lot of conflicted feelings and I just know that mm-hmm. sheltering in place is a lot harder for some people than it is for others. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just the idea of like, usually I thought whenever a crisis like this would come, you could hold your like community close and like, yeah be with them through it and for it to be something where that is just as impossible it's just a really weird it's just such a weird feeling oh it's so weird i i've been trying to think about um you know some of the spiritual disciplines we can lean into in these times and really thinking about like monks and nuns and people who have had to be cloistered for certain periods of time and almost trying to view it as like okay this is going to be a finite amount of time. This is not yeah. the rest of my life. How can I use it to truly help create some rhythms and structures for me? Because that's the thing. Um, I've been thinking about Dorothy Day, who's one of my heroes of the Catholic worker movement. And she she actually was a nurse during the Spanish uh, influenza in 1918. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't even a Christian, but she was working at a Catholic hospital. And she was saying what solace it was because they have the five daily offices of prayer you know and then like Mm. meal times and so like they had these rhythms structures even though like horrible things are going on they were busy all the time you always knew you would stop and pray at this time you eat at this time and how that just really helps in a time of Mm. pandemic and a time of like normalcy and i was like that's what i need more i need more (laughs) of that um you know like this is every day these are the prayers i pray and i connect myself to a wider community of Christians and that actually helps me feel a little bit more connected to my neighborhood mm-hmm. because the way I connect to my neighborhood is I feel God's love for the neighborhood but the flip side of that is I also feel sometimes that suffering right and that lack of shalom in my neighborhood um, and how do I sort of deal with that when I can't physically go out and make things better that's how I used to deal right and yeah. um, <laughs> I'll be a helper and it's like oh my gosh mm-hmm. that is not really truly helping right now um 
So yeah, it's also a time to really deal with some ingrained savior complexes. (laughs) (laughs) Such fun. Oh, for sure. Well, that 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 kind of partly segues. I know this has been mostly a downer of a, but I, but I feel like we're in a time now. Where I'm just I'm always a downer. No, 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 not you. Just like this whole situation. It's just been really uh, depressing. But you kind of segued into like uh, maybe practices you're doing every day. What are some ways now during this time we're kind of stuck that you're kind of finding respite, kind of finding you you already mentioned a couple really interesting ones. But what are things you're doing throughout the day, or maybe new? activities that are kind of giving you peace yeah i mentioned liturgical prayer and the reason why that's so important for me is that community sense behind it so i didn't really grow up in a tradition that in engaged in sort of liturgical prayer and so i really loved um common prayer for ordinary radicals it's like a free app and you can find it online but really any any sort of um communal prayers that you can find in whatever tradition you're part of, I'm sure you can find it. For me, it's such a way of like taking burden off my shoulders because I know other people are praying this with me. And I think that's really important for me. I'm kind of just leaning into the things I normally do. I'm just being much more consistent about it. So like I do find a lot of solace in um, at least part of the day being very honest about how terrible the world is. Right. (laughs) We see that in the scriptures and like, the lament psalms and the prophets right part of the goal is to just like be honest about the world and that yeah. actually relieves some yeah. of the psychological burden inviting people to lament with you um because you actually believe that you there's a god who loves you and who's listening so that's a really important part of my practice and then you know there's like weird hipster stuff like i <laughs> am doing sardo bread and i'm loving <laughs> it it sounds so cliche but no i've seen I a couple think- Really good bread right now, I must say. It's awesome. I've seen a couple of photos on Twitter, and I'm awesome. really uh, sourdough is like uh, one of my favorite. I just I love it, so I've been really jealous. But you can do it. I know it's that's like the magic. thing. I've been there's been a couple of things I've been trying out, but that's one like I need to venture. I need to actually just buckle down and do it. But yeah, they look amazing. They look really good. <laughs> so fun. One it. one thing I've been doing, and this is not at all as cool as making bread, but like for some reason, so I've been one of the fortunate ones where I can I can work from home. Pretty much everything I do, I could just do do from home. And so in the mornings, I've been making like this egg, ham and cheese, sa- you know, like um, English muffin sandwich. Like a McDonald's McMuffin yeah, or something. Yeah, pretty, okay. pretty much. And I've been doing it every morning and it has been like so, sa- it's just been so, I don't know, it's just helpful. And I don't know if it's that practice that daily sort of like, I'm going to do yeah. this when I get up. It's real. Yeah. yeah. And it's been amazing. It's been like. Why I'm like now I'm thinking about maybe I could just work from home even when I can go back. I've just loved this. This has been great. It's been like this centering. It's going to change our society in some ways yeah. for sure. It's going to be very fascinating uh, to see how it all shakes out with people mm-hmm. working at home more or uh, finding out how much they really need to, to engage physically with people. Yeah. Oh, God. yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, this has been great. Yeah. So that was our interview. Thank you so much for listening. Liam, uh, one thing she did talk about that really resonated, well, not one thing, there was a lot of things in this that, that really uh, hit home and really were, was felt. And one thing was just about a lot of places in our community where we would see people, where we would be with people is now just closed. So for instance, our school, you know, your school, the library, even the park, Um, What are some things in our community that you really miss doing and seeing people? 
I miss the library. You miss the library a lot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I miss the library for sure. That's a really good one. Um, one place that we used to like to go to a lot in our community that has had to close uh, for now because of the pandemic is Atlanta Vintage Books. Atlanta Vintage Books. Ah. Place we really, not a lot of community there. I miss the park too. Yeah, we are within walking distance from, um, from a park. Technically, we can still go as long as we're like hiking or biking, you know. Thank you again so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. If you're someone now, Liam, one thing I haven't brought up in the past, but if you're listening and you're someone who would like to maybe be on, I mean, be on our podcast, share maybe what you're doing during this time, maybe how life has changed for you. Uh, we would love to hear from you. So Liam recently got his first uh, email account. So what we're going to do is uh, if you have something maybe you'd like to share, maybe you'd like to call in as well and be a guest, email Liam. His email address is imliamrhodes at gmail.com. That's I-M-L-I-A-M-R-H-O-D-E-S at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you and talk to you as well. Also, one thing, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to let us know, we would love it for you to uh, maybe review us in uh, the Apple Podcasts app. We've already gotten a few really generous uh, ratings, so um, that always means a lot to us. Before we go, I do want to thank Dia Mayfield once again for joining us. Her book is called The Myth of the American Dream, Reflections on Affluence, Autonomy, Safety, and Power. It comes out May 5th, so be sure to pre-order now. It is a fantastic, fantastic book. I guess that's it. So, Liam, we're going to end on our four goals. Take it away. Stay at home. Wash your hands. Don't get infected and love your neighbor.